everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Dunces Corner. And we are joined by a very special guest today, Father Agustino Torres of the community of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And of course, we've, <laughs> and Our Lady and our, and St. Francis behind him too. Uh, and <laughs> I can't, I can't tell who that it's is. St. Joseph, it's dude. too small. It's too small. It's St. Joseph. <laughs> San Jose, Father Father Agostino is giving me the eyes right now. And of course, we've got some of our regulars joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. John Minert. You want to say hello, Dr. Minert? Hello, Dr. Minert. Excellent. Thank you. Right on cue. <laughs> and Catherine the Great. What's up? <laughs> and Avera. Hi. Father Agostino, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a joy. It's a joy to be with you all. Um, very enamored at the name of this uh, podcast, Dante's Corner, very Franciscan. That's it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's a blessing to be with you all. Awesome. And you're joining us in the middle of Super Bowl week. This is Holy Week right here. And before you uh, tear it up and throw a bunch of touchdowns, you decided to take a moment to be with us. So we're really thankful. My job is not to put people to sleep during the homilies for the next three days. So, um, tough task. <laughs> yeah, you don't want anybody falling out of windows and stuff. No, no, because I still haven't mastered bringing them back to life yet. So, uh, <laughs> that'd be very problematic. <laughs> if the Lord gives me that gift this Holy Week, then, then we're good. <laughs> So, Father, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on is we've been thinking just as a community about everything that we've been going through, not just this past year, obviously a global pandemic, um, but even extending beyond that. I mean, when you get a lay of the land of the church today and the world today, you've got corruption, not just outside the church, but inside the church. You've got moral corruption, even of priests and bishops, you know, which has come to light so much. You've got financial scandal that's going on. Um, you've got a need for a, a new evangelization with the rise of the nuns. And I mean, even though I, I say all this stuff about our time right now, as I was thinking about it, it was like, hmm, where else have we had corruption in, inside, outside of the church? Moral corruption, financial scandal, uh, popes trying to implement a reforming council, the need for a new evangelization. And my heart went directly to St. Francis, you know, the one that the Lord, uh, one, one of the most important saints that the Lord called to bring about a, um, a renewal in the church at the time. So I was like, I got to get my man, Father Agostino, in here to tell us a bit about Francis and the sort of renewal that it brings. And your order is actually an order that has renewal in its name. So maybe one of the first things it'd be great to hear about is why renewal is associated with your order. And why did you decide to go for that order? What drew you to it? Yeah, so uh, I belong to the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. and um, And the renewal is... 
is a is a broad term that it means a whole lot. You know, we we're we're talking about the renewal of the church and the world. We're talking about the renewal of religious life, but first, we're talking about the renewal in our own hearts, and that's where that's where it needs to start. And really, that's the secret. You know, like if if every heart is renewed in our Lord, then boom, all this other stuff is gonna is gonna basically work itself out. Um, but uh, but that renewal, as opposed to um, uh, reform or or reinstitution, you know, it's it's like um, sometimes without intending it, like um, efforts to 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 change society have have basically said, well, we need to go back to like the 1950s, or we need to go back to like the the, the 1200s, and um, and you know, every time has its has its grace, and every time. Um, you can't pretend that like the past didn't happen. It's a little bit like what happened after the French Revolution, right? They said, let's just go back to the way things were in the monarchy. And like, ah, you know, something was already happened and you, you can't, you have to account for those things. And so the term renewal is, is recognizing that, that there's, that there's something good that might've been lost or is at risk of being lost. And we need to renew that uh, incorporating where we're at today but 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 also recognizing uh, what we've been given so that we can know how to move forward and, and build a better tomorrow for the Lord and ultimately for heaven. But um, but we're here right now. So we got some stuff to do here in the now. That's renewal. How did I how did I get caught up in this crazy crew? Um, I, I'm originally from Texas. But I, I came out to to uh, to New Jersey for college. And, uh, and that's where I, I didn't really have too many uh, examples of, of, of religious orders around me. Just basically the parish and, that, and that's kind of it. Um, and so I didn't really have any idea what this was. And then I just randomly ran into some of these friars. And I was just like, what is that? And why aren't they wearing socks? Like, what's wrong with them? You know, it's like, it's January, man. And I was like, I was actually, I was actually appalled. You know, I'm from South Texas where, you know, anything cold is like, you know, 50 degrees. That's cold. That's like, you know, you wear your coat for that. The one that you don't take out, but two days a year, like that's my experience. And like, I was seeing these guys nappy looking, you know, like stains and like, like grizzly beards and no socks. I'm just like, no, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> that was my first impression. Um, but little by little, I, I just, as I grew in my, in my understanding of, of, of the call that the Lord was giving me, um, the charism of, of our community is to uh, work with the poor and to evangelize, obviously in the setting of, of fraternity and prayer. But um, like that was something that spoke so clearly to me. And at the risk of, you know, um, I don't know, sounding uh, uh, judgmental, like I knew that I, need to, I needed to join a place where I didn't have to worry about certain things. Um, and uh, one, one thing that's such a blessing is that we're not, we're not, battling with different senses of ecclesiology in my community, you know, God bless those who do and like a different sense of, of salvation, even, you know, like, yeah, I encountered some things going through college and I'm just like, what is going on? And, and in the, in the CFRs, the Franciscan Friars of Renewal, we're just like, dude, I want to get to heaven and I want to bring as many people as I possibly can. 
that's what I want to be about is, mm-hmm. is a big reason why I joined. Nice. So na- nappy dudes with uh, bushy beards and stuff. That's like Dr. Minor before he got married. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have a beard before I got married. Oh, yeah, did you wear socks face. before you got married? I question. did, but I was living in Texas. Yeehaw! And I was the smelly guy. So I lived alone. I had one fork. I ate beans and rice every day. I had no furniture. I had a million books and I biked to my master's classes in Texas. And I remember the undergrads sitting around me and being like, dude, that guy smells. And I was like, oh man, how did I get here in my life? I'm the smelly dude. (laughs) Please tell me you had cargo shorts too. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have pockets. This was like 2009. I still wore my cargo shorts. Wow. So your wife must have a diminished olfactory sense or something because, you know. (laughs) I'm much more respectable now. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, The love of a woman. Praise God. (laughs) I I love what you said, Father, about how, you know, all of the renewals that we can think about, but at its heart, renewal doesn't come from like a, Hey, we need to make a five-year plan. Let's implement it with all this bureaucracy, this and that. Even, even though that stuff could potentially help, even though it usually doesn't. But renewal <laughs> begins inside of your heart. It's holiness, you know. It's the saints who really bring about renewal in the church in every age. And this is definitely a a time for new saints. I mean, I love thinking about Avera. Avera has talked about it before. Just all of the young saints on the horizon. Uh, you know, seeing uh, young Carlo with his Nikes on in in, <laughs> in his tracksuit, it's like, man, whoo, time to get he holy, be you know? Nike spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, exactly. Nike yeah. needs to be taking him to be their spokesperson. That's right. You're right mm. about that, Avera. Definitely. So, when it comes to this age of the church that we find our, ourselves in, this time and place. I mean, I, I love thinking about how no matter what's going on, the Lord made us for right now. Mm-hmm. Like here we are, and the Lord wants us to do something, and he wants us first to receive him and to be drawn into communion with him. And then he wants us to go take that out to other places. So I wanted to hear a bit from you, Father, about how St. Francis can be uh, an inspiration and a patron for this time of renewal that, you know, we believe that the church needs. So what is it about the Franciscan option? You know, what, what are the distinct characteristics that make Francis such a good saint for our time? Yeah. Well, I got a lot of thoughts on this. Like, so, you know, uh, use the term Franciscan option, you know, halfway in jest, but halfway serious because it's like, you know, there's some people that are talking about a, a Benedict option. And like, they're saying like, you know what, man, it's getting crazy. You know, like Herod is in charge. We need to get out of here. We need to go to Egypt. And I, I've had some great, great friends of mine say that, and it makes sense. And, and in the history of the church, the quote unquote Benedict option has tons of historical precedent. And like, there's definitely something to that. Um, but there's always been the church that's engaged the world wherever it's at, you know, think like as a historical reference, like the letter, the letter to Diognetus, it's it's like an ancient letter that basically says like, look, we're Christian and we're citizens and we're the best of citizens. 
but we're not doing some of the crazy stuff that 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 the other the other people are doing because we're Christian. And it's just like, what does that look like today? Um, and that's basically what I'm calling the Franciscan option. Um, because I think St. Francis gives us concrete things and ways to live in the world, but not be of the world so that a renewal can come by us, um, you know, being who, who God is asking us to be right here where we're at, no matter the vocation, no matter, no matter what you're called to. That's some of that. That's, that's the revolution of, of, of the Franciscan charism. It made holiness accessible to the masses and it gave them a template, a way, like, this is how you do it. This is what we do. And before that, you know, you kind of had to join a monastery. You had to, you know, go off and, 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 it, and it wasn't like the whole phenomenon of the third order wasn't original to, um, to Francis, but boy, oh boy, did it take off. Uh, during his times and you know we, we we hear about all this crazy stuff going on now man there ain't nothing new under the sun you know mm-hmm. everything that's going on now has happened in the past and something you can argue it's happened worse i'm crazy it's sad to say that but but it's true and so when you have some historical perspective you're like okay we've been through crazy stuff before and this is what happened and that's basically what what I'm seeing um, St. Francis showing us. So that's kind of what I think about the, the Franciscan option. I don't know how that sounds to you. Does that make sense? Is this like, you know, someone crazy, crazy talk? No, I want to, Father, if I could jump in here, it makes perfect sense to me. In a lot of ways, I'm attracted to Francis as a model for renewal in our time because he's Francis in his historical context is reacting against a lot of the problems that have arose from wealth and excessive amounts of wealth and the seeking of wealth. And um, so I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about, about Francis and poverty. And uh, obviously that's super important to Francis and also to the Franciscan order, but I think also makes him pretty fitting for our time, especially in America. I don't want to hear Father Augustino talk about that. It's going to hurt. <laughs> you know, I had to bring it up. <laughs> it's going to hurt. Okay. But buckle up. Well, I think that, um, thank you for that question. That's an awesome question and a necessary one. Um, I think that St. Francis's understanding of poverty began with an encounter with Christ in the poor. Um, and, Specifically, when he was riding on his high horse, when he was still very much in his in his worldliness, you know, with his fancy clothes, uh, he came across a leper, and you know, the leper asked for the love of God. Can you help me out? And Saint Francis, I mean, like leprosy uh, smells much worse, much much worse uh, than than anything you can imagine. Even people who go to grad school and don't bathe all the time. <laughs> this is like it pales in comparison um, because it's literally, it's like your flesh is rotting on, on your body as, 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 as your life. And it's, and it's communicable by touch. So with, 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 uh, with great under, with clear understanding, we know why people avoided lepers at the time. Um, and, but when Francis heard for the love of God, something grasped his heart. 
and he got off of his horse. He gave the man his his gold, and uh, he looked in his eyes, and that that gaze was transformative. Um, and there was a conversion that happened in Saint Francis. And depending on which you know account, you know some of them have have said that he gets on his horse and the and the, uh, the leper disappeared. Others, maybe some 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 literary criticism. Would, would say that it was just an encounter, be that as it may, scripture is very clear on this point. When you did this to the least of my brethren, you did this to me. And something changed in St. Francis. Uh, he began to look at his own wealth um, as, as something that was filling up his cup, to put it that way. It was, it was filling up all his, all his time. This is what he was looking for. This is what he was all about. And he was seeing how lacking it was in and of itself. It was not fulfilling uh, his heart, but that encounter did. So, so he starts, you know, he goes to his, his father's store. His father was this, this very well-to-do fabric merchant. He goes to like, you know, the store and sells the stuff and, and, uh, and then, then just like brings, brings the proceeds to the, um, uh, to the poor, and this was a problem, and this was eventually what what brought Francis on trial because his father had wanted to disown him because they thought he went crazy. Um, and so all that is important to understand Francis's poverty. Like he began to disassociate himself very intentionally from wealth, and he sought poverty as a um, as a spiritual good. Now there's distinctions in poverty, right? You know, there's there's certain poverties that that we as Christians have an obligation to try to remedy. Like it's not right for us to know somebody is starving and just to say, like Scripture says, "Hey, God bless you. Hope you're doing well." You know, like it says in yeah. in, um, in in the letter of Saint James. Like, no, that's your brother. You know, if you have two pieces of bread. Thomas Aquinas, you know, and, and, and your neighbor is hungry. You don't have two pieces of bread because he, that belongs to him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's, that's very clear in our social doctrine. You know, this is something that we teach and it's so beautiful uh, plug for us to learn about Catholic social teaching. So <laughs> important, but all that said to see poverty now as, as a spiritual good, insofar as that it, it helps us see what is most important. See, we fill our lives with so many things. And I don't want to ask you guys this question, like how much time you guys spend on things that don't really matter. I'll put myself out there. I'll put myself out there. It's just like, well, what? why did I spend the last hour trying to fix something on this computer because something doesn't boot up right? Like that's I, that's a whole hour of my life I can't have back. And then, like, okay, you know, some of these things, you know, are part of our lives, but to put them in the proper place, that is the living of poverty. Uh, a vow of poverty is to is to radically depend on the providence of God and thus putting things in their proper place. God first, everything else secondary, and watch what God does when you do that. That's a paraphrase of our vow of poverty. Um, and St. Francis would say, there's a way for you guys to live this too. 
Like you're not a, you know, you're not going to take the same vow I took, you know, you have, you have families, you guys got to put food on the table, you know, hello, but there's a way to, um, to, to live simply with the most important things first. And there's a way to teach it to your family. It will set you apart. But I argue that this is more necessary now than ever. Mm. Sorry, I'm speaking a lot. No, no, no. That's no, why we, we brought we you want on. want you to speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I'm. I'm not trying to you know make this polemical or anything, but I love your. Uh, you threw a couple jabs with the Benedict option, and I. It just made me think. Um, and you know, Catherine and Rivera, you you tell me what you think about this. But one of the things that students who come to our university, because we're a commuter school, and our average age skews just a little bit higher than other universities. Um, a lot of students might come and thinking like, oh man, I'm going to miss like the college experience. You know, mm-hmm. I'm used to like hanging out at football games. I want to uh, join a frat or a sorority, this and that. Where's the lazy yeah. river? I want a climbing wall. The school then- doesn't spend $40,000 every two months <laughs> to replace every flower bed to make sure they're always blooming. Right. Universities do that. It's no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's something like there's something uh I, this is this is way too broad of a stroke here. But there's something benedictine about the create a camp that's kind of secluded from the rest of the community for people to like go and, you know, live there for a while and be formed. And there's something very gritty about our university about how like if you're going to come to school here you're just like in life in the city like you mm-hmm. know we got no dorm for you to live in you're just going to find an apartment like everybody else has got to find an apartment you're going to drive across town just like everybody else and you know i i find that our students deal with immense amounts of suffering and poverty they wondered how they're paying the bills many got kids that they got to take care of many trying to get a you know chasing some sort of dream and trying to get themselves out of their own darknesses things like that so i don't know Catherine and avera is that do you feel like i'm giving a fair shake to your experience yeah i mean i i used to go to a big university and then i transferred here so i and this May not. This definitely doesn't transfer to the whole like Benedict option versus Franciscan. But I mean, I did. When you're at a big university, sometimes you can be babied and held by the hand and been like, uh, "Okay, we're gonna make sure like this is where you go eat, and this is where you go sleep, and all that kind of stuff." And not that not that people don't face real problems at big universities. Um, it's just very different. It's almost like you're entering into a second high school, which you know how high school can be a bubble um, where like, you know, it does have its own problems and it's its own ecosystem. But it, when you're in high school, you are very separate from the real problems of the world sometimes. And I think the same can be true in big universities. Um, but here it's like, I, I definitely felt almost this culture shock coming at uh, the small university that's like campus is basically a parking lot um you know I was joking with someone I was like I was joking with my fiance Trey I was like yeah I'm gonna take my senior pictures in the parking lot just to like be like hey what's up this is my campus Um, (laughs) but 
Yeah, I mean, it's not hiding itself. It's not hiding behind lazy rivers or flower beds. It is it is saying, this is what we are. And why are you here? Because if you're just here to live a sort of college experience, then you probably don't want to be here. It's kind of cutting to the heart of like, you know, what's the point of going to college? Is it to party or is it to, um, is it to get an education? Which, you know, might be more ordered rightly, but also, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Avera, you think the same? I think, um, it was, it was weird for me. Uh, I mean, especially as, as you guys know, I, um, I found out that Fran U existed in June of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and moved here three weeks later and then started after having no desire whatsoever to come back to school, period. <laughs> you know, like I was just not interested in ever going to school again and really didn't think that I needed it. Um, so when I came here, I think that I was kind of in that spot where I had been to like a big four-year university, didn't care really enough about what I was studying or just the the culture of the school to where I was like, I don't need this. <laughs> like this is just this is wasting my parents' money at the time. Um, and then I went to a little community college um off and on, and it was still just like I'm just I'm not caring enough. Um So to move here, you know, three hours away from home and then just kind of very spontaneously go back to school, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I have plenty of friends like at at other universities or I'm kind of thinking of Franciscan uh, University at Steubenville, right, of like how the the culture is, it's beautiful there. It really is. Uh, But I think that it it can be uh, to whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. And I guess it's kind of circumstantial, Uh, but it can be a little bit of a bubble, you know, which again, I don't think is either good or bad, um, but it can have consequences, you know, good or bad is not necessarily, you know, the same as, as just having consequences. And I think a consequence of being at Fran U specifically is I'm in a, a really big city, you know, Baton Rouge is, is pretty big. Um, there's, there's plenty of people, you know, here. And again, I don't really have the school to, run away you know especially because I'm not on campus um I you know I think like last semester because of the pandemic I didn't go to campus at all um (laughs) you know the whole time I was here um and there's there's not much room um for escapism I guess in that sense you have to try really hard um to enter into that kind of escapism which uh, I have still managed to do, uh, and I guess one of the, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask, uh, ask you father is, um, I still deeply, you know, have a problem with that of being so uncomfortable being empty, uh, because I'm so not used to it, you know, and it is, is a scary place to be empty and to be vulnerable. Um, I think that is one of the places where I've realized coming here that that is an area of great woundedness and great discomfort 
um, in my own heart where if I leave myself open, um, even if I, uh, even if I'm leaving myself open to the Holy Spirit, it is terrifying, you know, for me to do that because there's so much, um, I've done that often and gotten burned for it. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of like a continuous cycle is like, okay, I open up, I get hurt. I open up, I get hurt. And now that I'm kind of putting myself, especially during this Holy Week, um, in a position where um, I'm, op- I'm trying to open myself up again. You know, I had a, a priest tell me dur- during the Triduum, especially um, to open yourself up to whatever God has for you. You know, don't go in with an agenda. Don't go in trying to say, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Just be open. Um, And I think that Francis really, in a degree, had to leave himself open um, to whatever, to wherever um, the Holy Spirit was moving him, to whatever God had planned. And I think that maybe just the culture in general, the society in general, we don't leave ourselves, we leave ourselves open to all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to know, I guess, from your perspective, and even from Francis's perspective, how do we overcome the fear of being empty? You know, <laughs> like I know, um, who was she talking about? Carol Houselander has a beautiful book about the Blessed Virgin, um, the Reed of God, where she talks about how if you put honey in a reed even though honey is a good thing you still won't be able to play the reed you know because it has the substance in it the reed was meant to be left empty to receive the piper's breath um and that's just a very vulnerable space that's a that's a hard place to get to as the reed has to literally be hollowed out in order to get to that space how do we in the mind of francis leave ourselves open to receive the Piper's breath, open to receive um, whatever God has for us. So I'll give you a short answer and then I'll give you a longer answer. Um, (laughs) uh, A dangerous, a dangerous uh, novel on the life of St. Francis written by cousin Stockis, who was the same guy that wrote the last temptation of Christ. So read uh, buyer beware. Um, He just had this scene where St. Francis, you know, had, had already built this order with thousands of people. He was like, he was like adored by the masses, respected by the popes. And, you know, and then, and then, but but he kept on getting the brothers to focus in on, on their prayer and their own. And then this one brother, brother Leo was just like, well, 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 brother Francis is like, and Francis was just like, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Any of that. Um, my God, my all is the saying under the Franciscan crest. The short answer is as terrifying as this sounds, God doesn't ask you for more. He asks you for everything. And until we just abandon ourselves and what Francis said, hold back nothing of ourselves for ourselves for he who gives himself completely waits for all of us. And, and until we get that, it's always going to be a struggle. It's almost like we have to be naked before the Lord and saying, this is who I am, broken, battered, and bruised, and I'm yours. Um, and it's a process to get there. But one of the, uh, one of the concepts that I, I try to develop in, in trying to teach the Franciscan option, it's this 
to be pierced. So St. Francis had the stigmata. And, and that stigmata signifies, I am everything for you, anything and everything. And so, like, the stigmata is like this whole phenomenon. Sometimes some people are more focused on the stigmata than they are on, on, on Christ. And that's obviously a distortion. But, um, but what is the, 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 the fact that a man was a walking crucifix? I mean, in a way. And, and, and he, was, he was, like, we, we look at a crucifix to pray and meditate, especially in these days of Holy Week, on what the Lord did for us. And here in this man's flesh was a, a, a silent sermon of what man can give to God. My own body, my own suffering, my own sacrifice, my own brokenness. Um, and so to be pierced, I remember I was at, I was at our, our homeless shelter in the Bronx and I was just really frustrated. I was just like, Look, man, here we are. We got this awesome program. We're trying to help people get off the street. We're trying to help guys get clean and stuff. And I couldn't understand why it wasn't working, quote unquote, working. My understanding of working was like, you know, we set this up, men come, and then they stop using drugs. They stop using alcohol. And they eventually, that's success. And I, I didn't realize how worldly my notions of success were as a friar, as a priest. And then I read this sermon by Pope Benedict XVI uh, that uh, he preached on the feast day of, of the feast of St. Peter and Paul. And when he was talking about Paul, he was, he was talking about the heart of Peter and the heart of Paul. And when he was talking about the heart of Paul, he said, a missionary's heart is a heart that is pierced. And in that moment, I realized my job isn't to like you know, bring this guy to sobriety. My job is to love him, even though it will pierce me. And it pierces you. When broken people fail you after you're doing everything for them, I mean, sure, you don't have to go to a homeless shelter. We could just look at our families, right? <laughs> There's brokenness that pierces us. And we, we react, we're like, well, hold on, you know, like, and, and, and to love them despite their brokenness or in spite or, you know, to love them for the sake of Christ. And that is along the lines of giving your everything. Um, because we have to reconcile our own brokenness and our own feelings. And basically, we're just bringing it all to the cross, like Mary Magdalene is like, look, I've done some crazy things, Mary's saying, but I will not leave this man. You can think what you want to think. You can talk about me. You can. So I love Mary Magdalene during the Triduum because she's just like shamelessly with God. You know, she was like a little emotional, right? She needed to put some emotions in the right place. But even that God met her there. Mary, Rabboni, do not yet cling to me. My favorite scene in the gospel. Chill, girl. <laughs> <That's exactly. laughs> yo, 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 hey, do not tackle me with your excitement. But but that's the that's the long answer of, of of that beautiful question, you know, everything to be pierced. And what we learn after being pierced time and time again is that God will not be outdone in kindness. And if there is something that is piercing us when it's given over to God, 
it becomes glorious. What's glory? Glory is the beauty that comes from pain united to the cross. That's my paraphrasing of Van Balthazar. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and this is this is what this is what when this happens in the world, when people who are just working their nine to five have this perspective, it is the most powerful force on earth. Ooh, you're throwing the heavy punches now, Father. Okay. <laughs> okay. There is something, uh, I think, profound about how Francis hears his vocation before the image of the pierced Christ in San Damiano. You know, it just, it kind of shakes me. And when I was able to go to Laverna on a pilgrimage with the university, mm. like, this was crazy because they, they got that chapel uh, that marks the place where he received the stigmata. But our hostess, she's like in with the Franciscans. So she fi finds this friar and this friar is like, oh, special part of the tour. We don't normally do this. And he brings us down these stone steps underneath that chapel where they have like a hewn out chapel with the Eucharist there. And you can literally touch the giant rock that supposedly Francis was on when you received the stigmata. And there was like a priest and a deacon there. I forget where they were from. I think it might've been Spain, but the priest was studying uh, his doctorate. He was writing on Bonaventure's itinerarium. And I was like, you, you studying that right here yeah. at the place. Like that is crazy. But then they, we, we were about to leave and, and the friar was like, yeah, you, you, could, you could touch the rock and pray. And I remember putting my hand on it. And then the, I normally don't talk about this, but like tears just came to my eyes, like immediately. And I thought of my family and how my vocation was to die for my family. And I remember asking the Lord at that point, like, Lord, I, I, I want to sacrifice for my wife and my children. And Sometime later, now that I've been through all this stuff with my health and everything, I've I've sort of been reflecting back to that moment. Um, I've been, you know, wrestling with like, Lord, why did you have me go through this? Like, why am I carrying this cross? Because to me, it looks like I'm not being a dad to my kids when I'm flat on my back, you know? Like, it's not just like hard to see. It actually looks like the opposite of what I think success would look like. Uh, and it was only until my wife, who's my much better half and has these, you know, important insights that, you know, one day she was like, you know, maybe the Lord had you go through this because it's what you needed to be a better husband and father. And I was like, ooh, you know, I, I, I think I need to take that one to prayer for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> But, but what came to me as I was praying was that moment back in Laverna. And it was like, this is what you asked for, mm -hmm. you know? So, ooh, it could be scary, but <laughs> that's where you uh, can find your calling. Amen. Um, I think that uh, the more you understand this, this um, if, if, if I may call it this, um, this death to life principle, um, you know, Gaudi Metzbez, paragraph 24, you know, man finds himself when he gives himself. Uh, and, and when we understand this, this self gift, 
um, we we become who we are. So it's in in that death that you become who you are. Um, Pope Francis, in his in his uh, letter on, on the, the year of Saint Joseph, said that you know fathers are made, and if I can be so bold as to adding, fathers are made when when they they learn how to lay their lives down. That's what that's when a father is made, um, and. And there's, it's this weird paradox because everything in the world is telling us the opposite. Um, and this is why so many, so many relationships, so many things, so many things are broke, are breaking down. Our belief in the institution is breaking down, but it's we, it, it's our own hearts that are broken. It's projecting it on, on all these other things, you know, like, oh, marriage is broken, man. I don't want to get married. It's like, no, bro, you're broken. And it's okay. We're broken, but like it's by acknowledging that and not putting the blame on others. In a way, that's like what Francis did. He's like, look, I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm the problem. I'm the greatest sinner in the world. And there's this one story when the brother confronted him, and he says, "How can you possibly say you're the greatest sinner in the world? Like that's ridiculous. Like I would be that brother. I'd be like, dude, come on. That's not that's not humility." And, and Francis responded saying, I say that because if a thief was given the grace I've been given, they would, they would ascend to the heights of sanctity. And then that got me thinking of like, what grace am I being given? I joke around, you know, like the saints in heaven are looking down at us thinking like, dude, I wish I, I wish I was down there right now. <laughs> Can you imagine Francis Xavier with email? Can you imagine, you know, um, uh, St. Paul with like a, a frequent flyer miles, you know, like they would have torn it up, but they're not alive now. They're alive in, in, in the Lord. This is our time. And from all eternity, there has been a grace assigned for our time for you and for me that. I can argue is a powerful, amazing grace because scripture says where evil is present, grace all the more abounds. And evil is present in different ways, maybe multiplied, not necessarily new ways, yeah. but um, but that means that grace is all the more abound. Sometimes, you know, the people are talking right now about some of these movies coming out, you know, mm-hmm. like this blasphemous movie about our lady be careful who you pray to all this other stuff and uh, i just i just think back about what this homeless guy in san diego told me um he said you know people are worried about the devil but scripture says only a third of them got cast out of heaven that means there's two-thirds angels still in heaven mm-hmm. we outnumber them and i was just <laughs> like <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> what a wonderful word um, to know that, that we're surrounded. Like, the angels are probably like, I got you. Don't be afraid. I got you. Just receive it. And that's what St. Francis did. He received the grace that was given him in his time. And his example can help us in ours. That's good, Father. 
I, I got another thing I want to ask you about, and this is it's based on a theory that's not well worked out in my head. I'm shooting from the hip here, but okay. So if you when you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, when it came to the 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 divisions in the church, it was like, oh, you're a social justice Catholic. I'm a liturgical Catholic, you know, like I'm I'm all into the sacraments and adoration. You're into taking care of the poor. Now, because of the climate and social media, it's been, I think those two things are still present, but now they've been pushed to the extremes. Mm. So now it's like, you got the rad trads who are like, you want to know what the answer is? It's going to be the Latin mass. That's Mm -hmm. the answer to everything. And it sort of, it, it pushes out the church's social teachings. It, you know, that it doesn't get any attention. And the flip side, you've got the people who are like, Oh, we got to be so progressive. I need the church to change mm. so that I these people can feel welcome. You know, I'm, yeah. we're, we're supposed to go out to the edges, the fringes, the periphery. Like we might even change the, ter- the church's doctrine to like welcome them in, you know, to meet mm. them where they're at. And when in the face of something like that, I think about Francis, who is becoming poor to serve the poor and yet that guy wrote that letter to the entire order. And I know you, talk, you know what I'm talking about. Where, And like the, the language he uses to describe the Eucharist and the care with which he wanted his priests to treat the liturgy, I think it would be shocking to a lot of people. You know, and then we watched the, uh, the documentary about y'all. Um, what's, that's not coming to me right now. What's the documentary that Grassroots did? John, you trying to think of it too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outcasts, outcasts, outcasts. Yeah, yeah. And you, you got these shots of you all working with the homeless, working with prostitutes, working with drug addicts, and then in between, there's these beautiful moments of austere, simple but beautiful liturgy. You know, and it just strikes me like there's something here in Francis that maybe we need. You know, I don't know if you want to speak to that, Father. Yeah, um, very interesting that uh, that you're you're kind of seeing these things as 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 uh, two polarities. Maybe they are, um, and if that's the case, they're both right to some extent. Um, so Francis would completely agree that right worship is is part of the solution. But if you take it to the extreme and all you're doing is beautiful liturgies, uh, you need to you need to get out there and serve the poor, not because you're good, but because the poor are better than you. And that's what's missing in a lot of circles. We are serving the poor because we think that we are better and we got it wrong. Mm. When you take on that mentality and you're, you're, you know, ad orientum, veiled, uh, you know, mass of using the 1963 sacrament. Praise God. That's ours. That's our tradition. That's, that belongs to me. That's part of my heritage. Yeah, I want that to be preserved, but not to the detriment of, of, this, of this great commission that the Lord gives us. And the other, on the other extreme it's like, you know, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the truth of Christ, uh, it doesn't change, but the way that we bring it changes. Um, the way, the, the words that we use change. So I would, I would challenge those people who, in the name of welcoming, 
are changing that which is unchangeable for lack of a better way of saying it uh, to, to ask themselves um, what is at the heart of what they're doing. And with all the love of my heart, I say, I ask this, is it Christ that we are bringing? Because if it is, then it changes the way that we see these people who we're trying to include. And, and it doesn't become about um, some social change, which uh, just a little testimony, my family, when I was born, my parents left the church and they became, they became Marxists. They became socialists. And growing up in that, I was, I'm, a, I'm a cradle atheist. Wow. <laughs> I was baptized when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, but, uh, but seeing that process in my parents, I, I began to kind of like see what some of these social changes were really about. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's a, a lot of times when we try to change that which is unchangeable, it's our own need for a deepening of conversion. And I'm convinced that, that, that all these people are entirely sincere and very well-meaning. Um, but but we need to see the good on either side and bring it together. And Francis did this. So um, he when he showed up at the Pope's, Pope's house, knocked on the door, knock knock knock, and said, "Hey, will you approve us?" And um, and in a way, after the dream that that Pope Innocent III had about the church crumbling and Saint Francis propping it up, it's like he was able to call the church on to reform, but, but ask the church for permission at the same time. Now that's an insight that we need right now, because it seems like those two things are irreconcilable, but they're, but, but they're one and the same in the life of Francis. Of course, he's going to go with the blessing of the church. And of course, he's going to call the church to be better. He is going to bring about in his time, a renewal in the priesthood, a renewal in devotion, a renewal in respect for authority, a renewal in liturgy. Um, I have to check this out. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have a source, but but I understand that it was the Franciscan priests that popularized the elevation of the host in the mass because it was it was just it was regional at the time, and the Franciscan priests, because of their emphasis on the incarnation, were holding up the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ in the moment of adoration. And now this is like, boom, everywhere, mm. such a part of us. And so this is what we need to kind of be looking at and, and, and trying to find. And I think if I may, this is a side note, this is me. I think when we make the mass, with all due respect, our football, we're, we're, we're going to be mistaken. Um, if, if the mass is the be all and end all, it's the source of some of our faith. Mm -hmm. the Eucharist, but, um, but, but sometimes we make the mass, the, the main point of entry into the faith. And I think that's a mistake. It's not historical because people in the early church would come to the Eucharist after they were initiated. And so the, their first encounter was with people on the street their first encounter was seeing the, 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 the Christians getting eaten up by the, by the lions. 
And so if we change our mentality and say, my first encounter with the people I want to bring in uh, for for the glory of God needs to be in my life authentically lived needs to be in the in the in the public square and then we invite them into the into the mass then we invite them in um this is going to completely diffuse some of those arguments of like we need to change the mass we need to have inclusive language we need to make it all in latin because it's not going to be our first point of encounter anymore and and i think that i think that there's something to be said about that but that's me those are my broad stroke theories. I think we need to translate some of your words into German and send it over to the uh, Senate. <laughs> Just kidding. Sort I'll of. get behind that. I second the motion. <laughs> All right. We we do have a game to play, but Catherine, I want to make sure you get a question in. Do you, if you oh, one. I was, I, you're just so good. I feel like every question I thought of you, like, hit on and I was like oh that's so good <laughs> um I'm trying to I write down notes so I'm going through my notes right now um but it really stuck out to me when you said that God will not be outdone in kindness you know that no matter I don't know how much we you know think we're doing good or all that kind of stuff like God is going to be much greater and much more forgiving um, than we are with ourselves. Uh, But also, yes, the other thing that you said that stuck out to me was you said we serve the poor because they're better than us. And I think that is such a good just mindset to be in. And it's one that I, I know when I was, um, at the high school I went to, we we had our little catchphrase, which is like, serve the dear neighbor. And, you know, in high school, you're just not thinking of, you know, necessarily what that means or all that kind of stuff. But it's so beautiful that it it is, it turns into this, the poor are better than us. They are closer to Jesus Christ because of the fact that they are poor and because that Jesus says, when you serve the poor, you serve me, you know? Um, so I don't know. What's a question that I can do with that? Uh, <laughs> pick my brain. Um, how how do we grow in humility? That's a good question. How you're you're like quick three tips or one tip? How do I stop caring about myself so much? Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, first of all, uh, I'm not the best person to answer this. I will find the most humble brother. And bring him to you, and <laughs> and he'll just sit here and not say anything. <laughs> um, but in, in my pride, uh, I'll take a I'll take a a, a stab at that. Um, in my conversations with um, with with young people, what I find is that there's this there's this self loathing mm. that is very prominent. <laughs> yeah. And in St. Francis, when I was reading St. Francis a lot, I was like, yo, St. Francis hated himself is what I, is what I've, and I brought this mm-hmm. to one of, at the time, the top Franciscan scholars uh, and asked them like, what, what is this? Like, you know, how am I supposed to read this? Is this like, you know, a historical anachronism? Is this like written for the time? And he said, no, St. Francis did, but it brought him to holiness. I was mm-hmm. like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. And so 
I just began to kind of just pray about it. And I realized that St. Francis always hated himself. Mm. The way that he was doing it before his conversion was like, he's the life of the party. He's like, spent, he's got to be the warrior. He's like the mm-hmm. ultimate narcissist. Mm-hmm. And his conversion, the crazy, this is my theory. The crazy thing is, is that wasn't taken away. And so many of us, in our conversions, think that's supposed to be taken away when I give my life to Christ. I'm not mm. supposed to still feel this way. And when it doesn't, it's like a crisis. And so what I saw in St. Francis is that originally uh, his, his worldly self-loathing um, rejoiced in the lie. Mm. His holy self-loathing, I'm inventing that term, <laughs> rejoiced in the truth. Yeah. His worldly self-loathing was about himself. His holy self-loathing was all about Jesus. Mm. His worldly self-loathing turned him in on himself. His holy self-loathing brought him out of himself. So we got the tools. (laughs) If if you're down on yourself, if you're frustrated with yourself, <laughs> right, um, all the time, mm. uh, let that be a, a way for you to be drawn out of yourself mm-hmm. and not the opposite. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like really the, the way to true humility. It's like, you know, if, if there, there was people were asking me about confession the other day and they were saying like, oh, man, I feel so guilty. And I was thinking. Well, you should, because you say it's <laughs> a good thing, good feelings you have, yes. <laughs> but but don't feel like you're condemned. Yeah, because that's a difference. Mm. Like, yeah, I, I did that. I feel guilty. I go to confession. I'm no longer condemned. Mm. And that's the truth. Rejoicing in the truth is like I sinned. Um, let me go to confession. I am free from those effects. Yeah. And so this is, that's humility, really. It's like, I'm rejoicing in the truth. And so those are like the three things that, that I would, I would say really practically ask yourself in your own mind, is this a lie about myself? Who am I? I'm a sinner. And that's the truth. And that's humility. I'm a sinner, Lord. I need your help. Is this about me? Mm, I want to make this about you, Lord. Help me to make this about you. And, and it's a discipline, but, uh, but that's how I would yeah. say, you know, you can, you can grow in humility. Yeah. Not letting it be. Cause I feel like a lot of, a lot of teens these days, <laughs> I am our, our, uh, resident Gen Zer. Uh, but a lot of people can use this sort of, uh, self-loathing as a, as a security blanket to say like, oh, I won't actually hide from my problems because I'm just a piece of trash. So if I just put this, you know, I have a piece of trash thing over my head, then I won't have to actually answer to Mm. the consequences of that. Mm. But no, I think you put it very good, like live in the truth and, and not only say like, okay, yeah, I'm trashed. I sin, you know, but God redeems me. And like, that's the truth of it. Not letting it stop in that. I suck kind of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting stuff, Catherine. It, as you were asking that question, it made me think of St. Bernard of Clairvaux and his 
treatise on treatise on loving God. And your your question is sort of like the flip side of it. It's because Saint Bernard is like, this is how God woos the soul. It's I love me for me. That's where I start in my sinfulness. And then, oh crap, things happen. Now I love God for me because <laughs> I need, mm. to get, need him to get me out of it. And then he draws me closer and then it's like, oh, I love God for God now. Mm. But then he's got one final step. It's you actually return to you love yourself for God, which is a totally different kind of love. And it's sort of like the... I don't know. You, you're you're showing like the flip side of the coin. Like I, I hate myself, and I'm I'm curious as to what, how Saint Bernard would write about you know our self hatred today. You know, and I think you're right. There are a lot of people who deal with this sort of self hatred. But I wonder if uh, that teaching of Saint Bernard might have something to say to those people. Topic for another podcast. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hate Actually, myself. Though, I'm trying to return for that podcast. Yeah. I need to hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's transition, folks, as uh, Father Agostino has given us some of his wisdom, thanks be to God, on the Franciscan option. I thought it would be appropriate to play a very quick game of Franciscan trivia. And you, I'm going to split you all into two teams. I know everybody's like, give me Father Agostino. Give me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to apologize for whoever has me. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to throw Avera with Father Augustino and I'm okay. going to throw Catherine with Dr. Minert. Sorry, Dr. Minert. I oh, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm the one with the doctorate. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. What graces have I been given? I know That's so right. little. I'm only working towards my undergrad. I'm That's just, it. Yeah. So, th- so this is how it's going to work. I've got four quick questions and then one final round to sort of seal the deal whoever the champion is going to be okay and i'm going to split you i'm going to send you into breakout rooms and i'm only giving you 30 seconds nice. that way that way you could talk amongst each other and come back and then you I give us your answer i don't need more than 10 seconds <laughs> I'm, i already know i don't know well, we'll we'll five 30. seconds that'd be fine <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna make sure i uh, assign manually the rooms here yeah <laughs> This will go smoother than the Halloween candy game. That was oh yeah, we that were, was fun. We were I discussing it. Yes, <laughs> I think I was um, on Dr. Miner's team for yeah, that. Yeah, we won because yeah. we sure did. We That's did why he separated y'all. <laughs> Are y'all ready? <laughs> y'all ready for this? Yeah. Got any trash talking you want to do real quick? I feel like I'm not I the best trash at talk it. Talk a father. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your first question. I'm starting easy here. What coffee drink? Don't 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 say anything until you're in your breakout room. What coffee drink is named after an order of Franciscans because of the color of their habits? You got 30 seconds.
We got it. <laughs> okay, we're back in action. We're back in action. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Team Dr. Minert and Catherine, what do we got? We're buzzing in the answer for cappuccino. Oh, cappuccino. Okay. Ding. And Father A and Avera, what y'all got? Cappuccino. Cappuccino. One to one. Okay. I see. I started off easy. Trying to make it easy on you. Actually, I don't think any of these are too hard. Here's question number two, since we're at a tie. Which letter of the Greek alphabet, which is derived from a Hebrew letter, did Francis use as his personal signature? All right. Y'all go into your rooms, please. people back in action <laughs> you know yeah, it doesn't take long to make random guesses yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. this is gonna be all that random all right father augustino novera what y'all got how the towel dr minard and Catherine. We did you have the same yes yeah. we also said oh, okay see so easy so easy as far <laughs> as i understand it uh there there's some passage in ezekiel which speaks about the the just being marked with the sign of the Ta, the Hebrew letter, and um, Pope Innocent in the Fourth Lateran Council really used that passage uh, as part of his uh, speech to spur reform in the church, and Francis was really inspired by that. Mm. So, it's part of the background be, behind him being associated with the Tao letter. Okay, let's see if we, we step it up a little bit here. We step it up just slightly. Which object, which is common today and associated with beauty, but was only common to the rich in her time, did St. Clair use as a metaphor for the spiritual life? It's an object common to us today associated with beauty but it was only common to the rich in her time. And St. Clair used it as a metaphor for the spiritual life. No Googling. I open the rooms. <laughs> no Googling. <laughs> Y'all so we got, quick. we got them all, dude. We Y'all got them all. So Catherine quick. has had every answer. No, no, and no. Just, you had the last one. I didn't know the last one. You had that one. Okay, maybe. But she yeah. got this one, and I was merely confirmatory. You know? I was like, mm. oh, yeah, that's definitely it. Did you Did you <laughs> know it, or were you just like, yeah, Catherine, that must be it? Yeah, I did not know it, but <laughs> based on my knowledge of the spiritual tradition, it can't be anything other than that. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. It's got to be I it. A, I think I have a future in trivia. I should go on one of those she trivia does. podcasts. She definitely does. Uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, okay. Ka- Catherine's been here saying she's got a future in trivia, so <laughs> yeah. she's, she thinks she's nailed this one. Okay, Catherine, what did you come up with? What's okay. the object? We said a mirror. A mirror, and Father Augustino and Avera, what did you say? 
We said the monstrance. Oh, the monstrance. The answer is mirror. Yeah. Catherine <laughs> coming through. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yes. A, just, uh. yeah. So Claire was a, a woman of nobility. And so she did have access to mirrors and they weren't like ours. They'd be like a piece of bronze that had been polished basically. So wow. She writes uh, in her letters to, to Sister Agnes that you contemplate Christ in his infancy and his the incarnation in his infancy on the outside of the mirror. And then as you move closer to the middle, you uh, contemplate him in his humility in his earthly life. And then at the center of the mirror, you contemplate him in his charity with the passion and death and resurrection. So, yeah. and, and when you think of a mirror like that, the, the middle is where it's clearest. The image would be the clearest. So, mm. yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, okay. Now we we got a three to two now. Uh-oh. We got a three to two. Fourth question. What was Francis's given name before his father started calling him Francesco? All right. Opening the rooms. I'm the only one who made it back. There's Catherine. Yeah. Now we come in. I got lost. Coming back. <laughs> I got stuck in the Zoom. Zoom was like really trying to load me in. I was like, coming. That'd be a rough way to go, being stuck in Zoom limbo. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the worst. <laughs> Somebody's going to make a movie about that. Yeah. Okay, Father Agostino and Avera, St. Francis's given name, what you got? John. Yes, it was indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's Catherine true. We totally Minor. didn't get it. No. Yeah, we yes! We said we Our said Our best guess was he named he was named after his dad. Dad. Pietro. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I know it came, didn't the Francis name come later cuz his mom was a francophile? Did she like rename him or something like that? Where'd that his his dad renamed him. His dad okay. was away in France. His dad was a total francophile. That's it. And yeah. Francis came, baptized. His mom named him John. His dad came back and was like, "No, no, 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 no. He's gonna be named Francis." And like, that's not really a name. It is now. Yeah. So that's what <laughs> and happened. It, Making it a name. And it became a name. <laughs> yeah. So literally, Francesco means French. Wow. It's wow. like the adjective of france it's just kind of like but now it's yeah. a name yeah so next time you're eating some fries you could be like saint francis <laughs> thinking of you yeah because <laughs> you know those french fries are so french oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh. so we're at a tie folks with john aka giovanni as the actual given name of Francis, uh, we are at a tie and we're moving into the final round. This is going to be the one that decides it then. For this final question, I'm actually giving you two minutes in the breakout rooms. Francis's feast day is on October 4th. How many other feast days from October can you name? So y'all can jot them down. No oh. cheating. And the team that gets the most, winner takes all. All right. All right. My future is trivia. 
future and trivia relies on this question. That's right. <laughs> We're coming back to plead injustice because he's a priest, dude. <laughs> I, I told you he already had the the advantage. Yeah, <laughs> but there there are. We got a special one that no one else is going to have. There yeah. are a lot, there are a lot of heavy hitters in October. So there are for there your are. family. No wonder you asked about October, dude. Yeah, October's <laughs> like your month. <laughs> okay, so Doctor Minert and Catherine, what what do you got for us? Okay, so we got JP2. Yes. We have, I think, St. Therese. Yes. Okay. I think Pier Giorgio. No. No, never mind. That's not in July. He's July 4th. He's July, July 4th. Very patriotic man. Um, <laughs> and then we also have the vigil. For All Saints Day. <laughs> that's in October. Hey, there you there go. It is. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So there you, that's that we're tapping out. Those are three. <laughs> that's hey, what we got. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we got three. Father Augustino and Avera. Can you beat three? So we have October 1st, St. Therese, October 2nd, Guardian Angels. October 7th, Our Lady of Victories, Our Lady of the Rosary. Mm -hmm. October 22nd, St. John Paul II, mm -hmm. and October 31st, All Hallows' Eve. Well done. Yeah. We've got some champions, folks. Yeah. Champions. <laughs> Catherine's taking some punches in her trivia career. Yeah. I guess I, guess I uh, maybe I won't be able to go on one of those podcasts, but you know, it, it's, it's saving me from further shame, so it'll be okay. Yeah. We were talking about humility a second ago. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Father Augustino just wanted very to happy to taste. help you with your humility. <laughs> yeah, so we need to we need to reverse this. I think we won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. You don't want to be so worldly in, your in our own judgment. Way, you, in yeah. your own way, you have the ability to win by having lost. <laughs> the winners will be losers. That's, that's what they say. The losers will be winners. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's an interesting paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Proverbs. It's in Proverbs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Father, it's such a blessing to have you on with us. This has really been awesome. Um, I, I showed Dr. Minard a video that you did uh, back in the day. It must have been Fred Lent. I don't know. Do you remember? But Dr. Minard was like, that was so real. I need more of that. <laughs> and so we, we, we just felt like we had to have you on. You know, what a pleasure. So thanks for coming on our show. It's a joy. It's what a what a blessing. Thank you guys for uh, your love and your evangelization and your love for the church. Cool. You got any final words for us as we head into the Triduum, Father? Um, live it. You know, let's walk with Jesus however we can. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it however we do it. Let's let's uh, let's live these mysteries. Cool. Thank you, Padre. And thank you to you listeners for joining with us. You can catch us at Dunce Pod on Twitter, 
You can email us at donspot at gmail.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram, all those other places. If you like what you're hearing or even if you don't, you can give us a review on iTunes, subscribe, all that. You can send it to your friends and say, look how awesome they are or how much I don't like this. Either way, we'll take it, you know, because we're learning humility. Right, Catherine? Yeah, we are. We are. So leave in the comments down below how much uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you think my voice isn't uh, <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, we'll, and we'll catch you all next time. Peace. So, hmm. true story. Our lady is real. If you ever doubt, listen to this. I was in charge of Our Lady Guadalupe celebration one year for the Friars, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm Mexican. This is how we do it. And so I got all these people who knew how to sew. And I was going to get this girl to dress up as Our Lady. And we we're going to read it out because that's what we do. And the brothers had never really done that because, you know, anyway. And so I go to this 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 uh this fabric store in the South Bronx and it's like the South Bronx, right? And I'm looking around, I need the right color uh, for her mantle. I'm looking and I just find like this, this green, the sea green aqua. And I'm just like, Oh my God, it's not perfect, but I got to get this done. So I pick it up and I'm just like, I just need to get a couple yards of this and I'm in line. And then out of nowhere, this lady, Dominican lady comes up and she asks in Spanish, how much is this a yard? And I look at the material, I look at the fabric. I was in there for two hours looking at every single thing I could find. And then she had the perfect hey. color hey. of Our Lady's mantle. And Our Lady was just like, oh, you sweet little boy. No. <laughs> Let me let me send one of my one of my little little daughters to to, to fix this for you. Okay. And sure enough, man, oh man, the mantle looks vintage. It, oh yeah, we still have it. We still use it, and it's just like epic, epic, epic. So our she, lady, let me tell you, she didn't want you giving her no Aquafresh mantle, Father. <laughs> our lady was like, "Okay, I love you, but I have these aren't my colors." Okay. Is there a fly, Dr. Miner? No, dude. They just sent an email that says on there's a bookshelf up for grabs. Oh. And it's a <laughs> short one. So I'm trying to envision whether I could stick a bookshelf sideways on two other bookshelves. Like, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll take it. I'm going to take it. Oh. If I could get it on top of those two bookshelves <laughs> sideways, I think I could be really living. This is awesome. I could increase that is my space. The most incredible thing I've heard all morning. Son of a somebody, <laughs> somebody already got it. Uh... Who got it? Who needs it more than me? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it.